This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Welcome. You're welcome for saying welcome. So good to see so many of you here. Man, it's great. It's good. I love it. I don't know about you. Some people are like, oh, summer's coming to a close. Students are back in. As a pastor, it's like summer starts for me right now because everybody's coming back to church and we're all together and it just makes me so happy to see so many of us gathered together. So I just want to welcome you. Uh, if it's your first time here and we haven't met, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life and I'm going to guide us through the rest of our journey together. And I want to talk about life groups for just a second because life groups, I believe, are key to helping us experience what I think God invites us to at this church, which is safe places to form healthy relationships with God, with other people, and with our larger world. That life groups become the place where we learn what it means to love each other and serve each other and, uh, and laugh together, cry together. Life group for me, my life group has become the place where I experience, when I have that call I need to make and say, hey, I'm having a tough day. Like, I take off my pastor hat, and I just put on my 36-year-old guy hat and say, I'm having a rough day. It's my life group that I call, because those are the people who I'm forming these friendships with. I feel safe to be able to be me, and I deeply want that for every single one of us. And so this is why we talk about life groups. It takes time to find the right group, but once you find that group that's the right fit for you, I'm telling you, it can be so powerful to help us experience God and experience true, deep relationships. And so we're going to take some time in just a second to find life groups inside your program, you should see another program that says life groups on it. It has all of the, uh, the life groups that are opening up for us. And so we have a number of groups that are continuing on that have been meeting together for a while. But if you're looking for a group, you're not currently in a group, you want to join a group, these are our life group offerings for you. And so I want to give you a minute to look at those. But if the relational piece is not enough, if the growing piece is not enough, creating these safe places to grow in our understanding of God, relationships with each other, can I Can I say one more thing? This fall, we are going to be heading into a visioning time for our church. We're about to hit year 20 as a church. God has brought us together for 20 years as a community, which is so fun. I love it. Yep. We are adults. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, One more year and we can start serving wine at communion. It's very fun. So (laughs) I kid. Uh, I kid. But I, I started praying and dreaming about 13 months ago, saying, okay, God, It's been 20 years and you've done so much, but what is the next 20 years going to look like? How do we make the next 20 years the best 20 years, the most impactful, not simply for our church gathering, but for Sonoma County and our partnerships around the world? What's it going to look like for us? And this fall, I'm going to head into a visioning time, a five-week series that we're calling Engage, which is a visioning series that's going to invite all of us to take a journey of really partnering with God in this next season of life and ministry and serving this community. And I believe it's going to be just an absolutely powerful time. And if you just come to those five weeks, you'll get some good information, you'll be inspired, you'll be challenged. But I would invite every one of us to join a life group because I want us to be in these groups and talk about it. Okay, what am I learning? What am I hearing from God? What's my unique part in this larger vision that God is inviting our church into? Really to have these conversations because as much as I love the back and forth from you guys, and I'm gonna be asking for it later, we can't do a Q&A right now. But that's the spot for our life groups to think together and dream together and ask questions together. And so I'm going to invite everyone in our church, even if just for a season, 
to try joining a life group because it's that important to me that we take this journey together. That being said, inside your program are our group's offerings. And then once you find a group that's right for you, there's a code right here. It's underlined. So for this one, it says it's an open group. It meets on Wednesdays from 630 to 8, and the code is WED-11. That code right there is how you would sign up for your group. So once you find the group that's right for you, you're going to grab this Start Here card. And I don't know if you remember last week, but last week I said, I value authenticity over polish. Do you remember this? I love both. But when I can't have both, I'll take authenticity. Here's an authenticity moment. We had a little mishap on our print job, and we forgot to put a spot for you to sign up for a life group. But as a church, we value authenticity over polish. So you're okay with that. Here's what you're going to do. Where it says— You are okay with it. Where it says address— That's where you're going to put your life group code. It's very simple. Bottom of the card, lots of space. Where it says address, you're going to put your life group code, okay? Stare blankly at me if you understand. (laughs) Perfect. You are quick readers. So I'm going to give you a good, like, solid 45 seconds, I know, to look for a group. And then to fill this out. After that, we're going to be passing baskets. This would be the time that you would drop in your Start Here card. You're going to drop in your offering. If you came prepared to give, you can get your offering ready in this time as well. If you're already in a group, you don't need to re-sign up for your group. You're already in. So you can do the other things to get you ready for this morning. But a good 45 seconds to a minute where the music plays, you look through these, find a group that might be right for you, and then where it says address, you would just put your life group code. If you can't find the group that's right for you in 45 seconds, that is understandable. Outside, uh, out in the lobby, by our little vineyard in the lobby, our Life Group's mentors team is going to be there. They'll be able to answer questions for you, help you find the group that's right for you, and get you signed up for a group. So if you're here and you can't figure out the right group for you, that's okay. After service, just head into the lobby, find the little vineyard, and you can sign up over there. All right. I'm hoping maybe boy bandish or 80s love song. I mean, what do we have today to get us going? Uh, hit the music. wedding last night. I'm sore today from all that dancing. This is... Anybody else want to dance right now? If we want to, we can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. I, say, I, I honestly could listen to this all day long. But for their so sake, maybe we'll drop it right now. Yeah, that's like good. Can. Boy, that is just that's just wonderful music. I love it. There's this spot in the book of Acts, just a little side note for us, where everyone starts speaking in these crazy languages. And everyone's hearing them speak in their own languages. And someone says, are you drunk? And they're like, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. I feel like when I danced, I should be saying that. No, I'm not drunk. It's only 10 in the morning. That's just how I dance. So I don't get drunk, just so we're clear. And that's the best I can dance. That's the best I got. So, uh, hey, if you found a group that's right for you, you're going to put your name. And if you're brand new with us, your contact info, email address, phone number, where it says address, that's where you're going to put your life group code. So now is the time to get that filled out. If you came prepared to give, you can get your tithes and offerings ready. You can drop them in the envelope right here. Uh, You can text to give or give online. There are tons of ways to 
to be part of this movement that God is doing through your generosity. So lots of opportunities for you to do that. I'm going to invite our guest services team to come on forward and pass those baskets. And because you are so good at multitasking, because you are highly intelligent people, I'm going to ask us to multitask in this process as well. So while they're passing the baskets, you're dropping in your Start Here card with your Life Group sign-up. You're dropping in your tithes and offerings You're also going to get out your teaching notes because they'll tell you where we're going today. They've got the Bible story we're looking at. They've got some thoughts to be thinking through as you fill in the blanks and take these home with you because my hope is that we would begin a conversation today that you would want to continue with your family and with your friends throughout this week. Well, I don't know if you can resonate with my experience, but I had my first and thankfully my only burnout at 26. When I say burnout, I mean that moment where you just wonder, can I do this anymore? Is this, can, I, can I work in this dynamic? Can I be here? My story was this. I was doing college ministry at Sonoma State University. I love Sonoma State University. I worked with a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of my favorite ministries. Yes, I love InterVarsity. When I started working with this ministry, I was 22 years old, just out of college. They said, hey, we won't pay you anything, and you can work here for free. I said, sign me up. So there were about 35 students. I was the oldest at 22 and started leading this ministry. Over the next few years, we grew from 35 students to about 100 students, and we were doing some really fun stuff. God was on the move. People were coming. We were having fun together, sharing life together. And from that 100 students, there were two weeks left in the last semester before summer break. I took these 100 students, and I cast a compelling vision for leadership, that if, you, if we're going to do something that is life-changing on this campus. It's going to take all of us investing together because I believe that when we partner together in the unique ways that God has set us up, God moves us further, faster together. And so I cast a vision for 100 people to all come on leadership. I said, I don't care if you've been a Christian for a day or a year. I don't care if you've ever led before. Leadership is the best place for you. Of those 100 people, 70 people joined our leadership team that night. And then I sent them off for the summer. And I said, come back, we're going to do a leader's retreat a few days before the year starts. And at this point, I was working seven days a week, but it didn't feel like work because I was working with my friends. I was working with people that I loved. I was working with people who were my same age, and we were doing something great, and God was moving. But that summer, I realized that I hit my margins. My wife and I were in our first year of marriage, and we went on an eight-week missions trip to inner city Oakland. And so we were living in Oakland in a two-bedroom spot. My wife and I, uh, four women, three men, and our little chihuahua Chloe in a two-bedroom apartment. That is not a great way to have your first six months of marriage. And over the course of this time there, I realized I can't do this this way anymore. At this point, I was 26, and I did not know how to lead up, talk to my boss about what was going on in a healthy way. So I just said, you can't do this to me anymore. I've hit my margin. And when I say margin, think piece of paper. And on pieces of paper, you've got those little margins on the side. And you can write all the way out to the edge until you get a word that you don't judge correctly, and then you write off the paper. And we can live at the edge of our margins as long as nothing ever goes wrong. But the minute something goes wrong, vocationally, or in our marriage, with our kids, with our finances, the minute someone gets sick at an inopportune time, we know that we have hit our margin because there's no more space for us to live. And I don't know about you, but when I hit my margin, here are the types of things I start to feel. I start to feel like 
Like I'm being taken advantage of. How could they ask me to do that? And that they could be your boss, it could be your kids, it could be your spouse, it could be your friends, it could be your church. How could they ask me to do that? I started to feel guilty. How did I allow myself to get here? So I went to my supervisors and I said, I can't do this any longer. But I did not do it in a very helpful way because I was at my margins. And who communicates their best when they're at their margins? So my supervisor and I didn't see eye to eye. So I did something that in retrospect is probably not the best idea. I went to that person's supervisor, again, as a 26-year-old, at my margins. And then they gathered me back together and they gave me, in their, in their kindness, a three-week forced vacation to decide whether or not I could stay in the ministry or I needed to leave. They gave me this three-week forced vacation two days before this leadership retreat where 70 students, at least 50 of them who had never led anything in their lives, were coming back to be trained to join me in this great mission. And so we get to the first day of this leadership retreat, and I say to these, these people who are bright-eyed, ready to go, I said, you guys, I'm going to be here with you for the next two days, but then I... I'm on vacation. I'm I'm not allowed to be here for the next three weeks. Here's the thing. The first two weeks of the school year are known as new student outreach, NSO. And new student outreach is basically two weeks of Easter Sunday. It's two weeks where anyone who's even a little bit spiritually curious starts coming. The dorms fill up. You're hitting the dorms. You're helping people move in, inviting them to the events. There are events six days a week. So many fun things. Volleyball and and beach trips. I already got invited back as an honorary old guy to the beach trip this year, which I'm not going to go because I'd be that guy. You know, like, what are you doing here? And I said to these students, these leaders who had never led before, you have to do it on your own. I can't be here. And I felt so angry, angry at my bosses for not allowing me to lead these students. And I felt so guilty. I had just cast vision for people to come into this amazing ministry, this great movement. And on the first day of the retreat, I had to tell them, you're on your own. Good luck. Be warm and well-fed. I felt responsible because I was leaving them to try their best to figure things out. I felt scared because I knew we were on the verge of greatness. When you have 100 people in a ministry and 70 of them say yes to God and step into leadership, you know God's about to do something great. And I knew we were on the verge of greatness, and I was afraid that I had set up a whole thing that was going to collapse. I was afraid that if I wasn't there, Camelot would fall. And in the end, I took my three-week vacation. The first week of it, I was so angry. The second week of it, I slowed down. The third week of it, I actually engaged with God. And in that process, God showed me some things, some things about myself, some things about God, some things about working in partnership with God instead of working for God. And in the end, that semester that I missed, when I missed the key part, like the part that you have to be at if you're the pastor— When I missed New Student Outreach, that semester, the ministry went from 100 students to 240 students. The largest growth they'd ever experienced. Our national office called me and said, what did you do to make this great growth? I said, I took vacation. (laughs) But 
But she, nice. But you know what I realized, though? I realized that God is at work on our behalf, even when we are not working. So I want to ask you this question as we jump in today. Do you ever feel torn like I did? Torn about feeling overwhelmed with responsibility. Torn about feeling like you're the only one who can make it right or do it the way it has to be done. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the demands of life, whether it's parenting or marriage or finances or vocation or ministry? Do you ever look at the world and think there's so much pain out there and I'm only one person? How am I going to fix it all? Do you ever feel taken advantage of by other people? These could be indicators that, like me, you are at your margin. And the problem with being at our margin is we never realize we're at our margin until we flip over the edge. I was talking to a pastor friend, and he said he visualizes it like a racetrack. He says, you never, know, you never know you're too close to the edge until it's too late and you're in the edge. And what I want to do today and for the next few weeks is talk about this big idea that we were designed by God to experience regular rhythms of work and rest. That we were not designed to work all the time, and we were not designed to rest all the time, but work and rest actually work in a symbiotic relationship. They are not enemies. They're actually friends. And if we can put work and rest together in the way that God designed for it to be, it will help us to experience more joy in work, to experience more peace in rest. And we're going to spend two weeks talking about why we should revision rest. Because God designed us to rest daily. We have times of being awake and times of being asleep. God designed us to rest weekly, and that's what we're going to spend our time talking about for the next few weeks. And God designed us to have seasons of rest yearly. Two weeks talking about why to change our perspective And then one week talking about how to try to give us some handles to put to the idea of rest. Because we just finished spending three weeks talking about work in light of the fact that we're made in the image of God. And that part of being made in the image of God is that our job is to show the world a visible picture of the invisible God as we work with him. We talked about the fact that we spend most of our lives working And so it would make sense that God has a lot to say about work, that work is a creative process of bringing order out of chaos and something out of nothing and beauty where there was once destruction. And as we partner with God in work, we show the world what God is like. But the minute after God talks about work, God goes straight into talking about rest because work and rest are supposed to be partners. And I want to take us back to Genesis chapter one. That's where we've been for quite a while. But listen, it's so so good that honestly, we could spend months just in this one chapter. I'm not going to, but there's just so much there. And I want to look at it this time specifically for one thing. We're going to start with Genesis 1, 26. We're going to be a review for some of us, but I want you to look for the word blessed. And every time you see the word blessed, I want you to notice what God is blessing. So right after God blesses something, it says the thing that he is blessing. God blessed blank and blank. Try to put the two together because there's a theme that happens with God's blessing in the creation story. And this is a story of origins, how the world came into being, that God is a big God, that God is one God, that God created the whole world, and God put us in this world to partner with him. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God made mankind 
God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they're yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures on the ground, everything that has breath, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Because when God made people, he said, there's something special about you. You're image bearers of me. And it was very good. Chapter 2 starts like this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished all the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, when the Bible says that God rested, it doesn't mean that God got tired, that God had to wipe God's forehead. The idea of resting in this Genesis story is that God took delight in what God had done. God looked at this creative process, and God found delight in it, and God sat back and said, yes, this is so good. He rested from work to delight in creation. And there are a few words that I want to explore this morning. The first is blessed. God's blessing is a common theme throughout this story in Genesis. We see it at least three times in these first couple chapters of Genesis. In Genesis 1.22, it says that God blessed the swarms of creatures in the air, and God blessed the water on the land. And in that, God's blessing to them was this. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 1.28, God blesses the man and the woman, and he says to them, here's your blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, God blesses the seventh day, the day of rest. And he makes it holy. And that phrase blessing is a Hebrew word, barak. And in the creation story, it carries with it the idea of procreation. Now let that sink in for a second. God blessed the animals so that they could reproduce. God blessed the people so that they could reproduce. And then God blessed a day. And he sets a day aside so that we could produce moving forward. This is the idea of the partnership of work and rest. God invites us to rest regularly because there's so much to be done out there. And unless we stop to rest. We will not be able to produce and create everything that God has for us to create. If you've ever tried to work 14 days straight, you know that your creative juices start to wane. It's really interesting that the world tells us that rest is for the weak, that the more you work, the more you can produce. The more you work, the more you'll get done. But Stanford research suggests that that's just not true. Researchers at Stanford have said recently that if you work any more than 50 hours a week, your productivity drastically goes down. What are they saying? They're saying what God has always said, that we need rest in order to do the work of creating and developing. 
And I would say that, by the way, work is not just the stuff we get paid for. Because it'd be easy to say, well, I only work 45 hours a week at my job, or 50 hours a week at my job, or 51, and that last one's not overly productive, but whatever. But then I get home on the weekend, and I'm cleaning the house, and we're doing the grocery shopping, and we're planning the menu, and we're taking the kids to sports, or we're meeting with these people, and we're doing this thing, and all of a sudden, we've got 20 more hours of work on our weekend. And we wonder, why am I exhausted on Monday? Because work is not just the stuff we get paid for. Work is that stuff of creation that we find ourselves having to do all the time. And God blesses one day for rest because God knows that there's more to be done next week. Later, this day of rest comes to be called the Sabbath day. We're going to use this phrase a lot, so I'll tell you. Sabbath simply means cease or desist. Cease or desist. Stop. That's what it means. Stop. How many of us have a hard time ceasing and desisting? But the truth is we need rest in order to have the productive power of creation. You could say it like this. God gives us a day of Sabbath rest as a blessing so that we can recharge with the creative power that we need for the work week ahead. This time of rest is supposed to fill us with optimism and hope and creativity and buoyancy and joy and belief. But if we do not stop, if we just find ourselves going in a never-ending conveyor belt of work, we will lose our hope and our optimism and our joy and our creativity. The other thing that God does is he makes this day holy. And that word holy is a Hebrew word, kadosh, which is used over and over again in the Old Testament for God. We're told that God is kadosh, that God is holy. And holy simply means set apart, altogether different. That there's the rest of the world, and then there's God. And God is categorically different than everything else. God is set apart. God is holy. But the first time that kadosh is used in the Bible, it's actually God making something else holy. And did you catch what God is making holy? He's making time holy. He's making a day holy. He's saying, I want you to have a day that is set apart from all other days. A day of rest. A day of Sabbath, of cease and desist. To delight in the work that God is doing. See, the Sabbath is different than a weekend. On a weekend, we take time off from our vocation, from our job, from that thing we get paid for. But on a weekend, we work, don't we? We cook, we clean, we shuttle, we try to form some sort of lasting relationships, we pay the bills, we get gas in the car, we wash the car, or we don't, and then your car looks like mine and the paint's all peeling off, it's tragic. But it's still work. And God says there's a different day, a day of desisting, ceasing from all work. God created Sabbath as a holy period of time to celebrate, to celebrate, to celebrate the beauty of life with God and with others. See, Sabbath is both a gift from God as we get ready for the week ahead, but Sabbath is also worship to God as we remember the work that he's done. Next week, we're going to talk about how Sabbath is all about fighting against Pharaoh. 
fighting against slavery. Pharaoh was the slave driver of the Israelite people. For 400 years, they were under slavery. And you know what slaves had to do? Slaves had to work. Slaves did not rest. Slaves were always going and going and going. And we live today in a new Egypt under a new Pharaoh that says you must work, 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 produce, 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 create, 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 or you are nothing. Don't post on social media for two weeks. How's the world going to know you're still alive? Honestly, I wonder, if you don't wish someone a happy birthday on Facebook, does it really count? Like, I wonder sometimes. I told my friend the other weekend, I texted her and said, happy birthday. And then I was nervous. She didn't get it on Facebook. What's she going to think of me? So I said, did you get my text? She said, yeah. I said, I know it's not as good as a phone call and a present, but I think it's a little more special than Facebook. (laughs) We live in a world where God is inviting us to celebrate what he's done to prepare for what is still yet to be done. But we also live in a world where God is calling us to fight against slavery and proclaim our freedom. And next week, we're going to talk all about that. But Sabbath, if I could just paint a picture for us, Sabbath is supposed to be like Christmas morning or Thanksgiving afternoon. Sabbath is supposed to be like game seven of the NBA finals. Sabbath is like that day when the the Bears beat the Packers. It's a beautiful day that only happens one time. Yeah, yeah. I've decided, by the way, uh, just in case you've been wondering recently, that uh, the Bears actually are God's favorite football team. Here's why. No, I have biblical backing for it. We're told that Jesus loves the least, the lost, and the last. And the Bears are the last all the time. So I'm pretty sure that the Bears hold a special place in God's heart as they do in mine. But think about Christmas morning, Thanksgiving afternoon, Game 7 of the NBA Finals, Super Bowl Sunday. You don't have to think on those days, what am I going to do today? Right? You know what you're going to do today. You're going to celebrate today. You're going to have it ready for today. Sabbath is about, it's about knowing and preparing and anticipating for a beautiful day that's set apart from all other days, a blessed day from God, a holy day. A day that prepares us for what is yet to be done. A day where we celebrate what has already happened. In two weeks, Maria's going to join me back on stage because honestly, you guys love when Maria's on stage. It's like, it's like I preach and you're like, hey, that was pretty good. Maria comes up and I, I'm not joking. I had so many people. That changed my life. It's like, okay. So I'm thinking if I really want the church to grow, I'm going to take vacation for three weeks. That's what I'm learning. No, she's going to come up. We've been practicing Sabbath for about four years. A couple times a month, trying, just trying. And we're going to talk about things we're learning in Sabbath, trying to give us some practical handles for how to do this. But I'll tell you, it's about anticipation on what could be. Now, I'll say this. Is Sabbath a command? No. I don't believe it is a command. But neither is drinking water. Neither is breathing. Neither is getting eight hours of sleep a night. Neither is exercising and eating well. It's not a command, but it's just good to do. It's wise. Is God going to be angry at you if you don't practice Sabbath? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I will say this. God has created a gift for you. It's sitting on the table, and he's waiting for you to unwrap it. Why not open the gift? See if it fits. If I had to wrap us up, I'd say this. Sabbath is about experiencing blessed rest with God and with others as we celebrate what has been done and prepare for what is still left to do. And even now as I'm talking, some of you are thinking, 
Kevin, you are insane. This cannot be done. You don't know my schedule. You don't know my family. You don't know our commitments. You don't know what we have to get done on the weekend. This cannot be done. And here's what I'll say to you. Sabbath can look differently based on your season of life. It can look differently. Jesus is going to go on to say, and we're going to look at this in a few weeks, that he made the Sabbath for us as a gift he wants to give to us. We're not slaves to this day of rest. This day of rest is a gift to us, and it can look differently. And that's why Maria and I are going to share our experience in it, but it is a way, not the way, to experience Sabbath. And if you're sitting here thinking that I'm insane, just come back. I may prove you right. (laughs) And here's what I'll say to you if you're brand new. Listen, I know I just met you. And this sounds crazy. But God made Sabbath. So try it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should pray now. Let's pray. Oh, God, I love this group. I, I, I just am so thankful that you allow me to join in with these people who I love so deeply, to be part of something that is so great, this partnership with you, this life with you, this experiencing purpose and joy and work and rest and freedom and forgiveness with you in a safe place in this community. Thank you, Jesus, for all the work you have been doing and continue to do in and through us. And I would ask God that in these next few weeks, as we think about this idea of doing something that is categorically different from the rest of our society— that is countercultural to what everyone tells us as we think about setting aside a day as holy to you. God, would you continue to shift our thinking, our thinking about ourselves, our thinking about you, shift it in a way that helps us to trust you enough to try. God, as we do that, would you continue to reveal yourself to us in the process? I know personally how much I love this gift of Sabbath, the gift that it is to me and to my family. And Lord, I would love for my friends in this room to experience that as well. So would you give us enough courage to ask some questions, to continue to engage with you in this conversation, and then enough trust to try. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.